0: and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. I hope you will join me today in celebrating Juneteenth, which was established last year as a federal holiday to commemorate the effective ending of slavery in the United States. Two months after Lee's surrender at the Appomattox Courthouse on June 19, 1865, federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas and General Gordon Granger read General Orders Number 3. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. And I hope you will join me in celebrating Father's Day, which was inspired by a Spokane, Washington woman named Sonora Smart Dodd, one of six children raised by a single dad and Civil War veteran. Dodd convinced local churches, the YMCA, shopkeepers, and government officials to make Washington the first state to engage in a statewide Father's Day celebration. That was on June 19, 1910. Although the leading beneficiaries of both Mother's Day and Father's Day are probably retail florists and Hallmark, as well as Home Depot, Today is an opportunity to remember the link between fatherlessness and the rampant crime rate in our cities, and a chance to continue our fatherhood series, Loving Our Kids with the Fatherly Love of God. Thanks for joining us today for season three, episode number 26 of Mission Focused Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Before looking at the teaching responsibility of fathers, since today is Juneteenth, I want to take a moment to turn our hearts to the cities of America, where lawlessness has been exploding. There are four ways that God has ordained that evil in society be restrained. Let's take a quick look at them. First, God has written his moral law on the human heart. Though our sinful nature causes us all to suppress the truth in unrighteousness, we know that when we argue for the biblical view of gender, human rights, property rights, and so forth, we have an ally on our side, their conscience, though opponents often won't admit that. Second, God restrains evil through fathers disciplining their children at home. I believe that a biblical lens put over the problems of our cities reveals that the biggest problem by far is fatherlessness. Here are some statistics. Children who grew up without fathers are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. Those comments and statistics from Barack Obama. According to the U.S. Census Bureau data for 2019, the percent of children who live with their mother only is about 45% for black children, 24% for Hispanic children, and 18% for white children. The correlation of crime with father absence is enormous. According to the U.S. Department of Justice report entitled What Can the Federal Government Do to Decrease Crime and Revitalize Communities? Children from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 90% of all homeless and runaway youths, 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders, 71% of all high school dropouts, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers, Seventy-five percent of rapists motivated apparently by displaced anger. The third way that God intends for evil to be restrained is by churches functioning as salt and light in the culture. At this writing, we have not yet heard the official Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade, but we know that the chances are pretty good that Roe will be overturned, and the issue returned to the individual states, which leaves us a lot of work to do. But clearly, we've gotten this far because Christians have been salt and light in our culture regarding life in the womb. It's taken a long time. But in my opinion, we need to have the same clarity about the way that extreme gender ideology activists are promoting policies that cause troubled, pubescent, teen girls to make permanent decisions to mutilate their bodies and futures through medical transition. Of course, there are lots of other important issues. We also need to help our culture see that institutional racism is real. Why would anyone who believes in the radical depravity of sin in the human race ever doubt that such depravity has shaped institutions? The fourth restraint upon evil, which God ordains for human life, is civil government. Paul explains the role that God has ordained for government in Romans 13. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So let's return to our series on fatherhood. This is the third episode in this series, Loving Our Kids with the Fatherly Love of God. In week one, we looked at how to regularly fill our tank with God's love for us, or in Jesus' words, how to abide in his love. Last week, we saw that God, like all loving fathers, does not passively leave his kids to be enslaved to their sinful, self-centered nature, but disciplines us, imposing pain now to lead us to walk down the path of life in the future. Today, we observe that fatherly love teaches a child the way he should go. God's covenant people, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, are treated as his adopted children. For example, in the Old Testament, Hosea 11.1 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And one of the first things God did after calling his covenant people out of Egypt was to give them the Ten Commandments. And this text begins, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then he gives the Ten Commandments, which were never given as a way for Israelites to earn their salvation. They were given after they had been redeemed from slavery in Israel, which is symbolic for slavery to sin. In God's fatherly love for his son Israel, God teaches Israel the way they should go. This teaching role of God, our Heavenly Father, is also interwoven in David's thoughts, for example, throughout Psalm 119. Consider verse 4, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Or verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Or verse 93, I will never forget your precepts, for by them, You have given me life, or verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart, or verse 135. Make your face shine upon me and teach me your statutes. Just as our Heavenly Father teaches us the way we should go, the fathers in Israel were expected to train their children in the way they should go as well. God established this principle with Abraham, the father of the covenant. He says in Genesis 18, I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Later, it appears that Joshua did fulfill this responsibility. He, of course, had been challenged by God, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This, of course, was a general commandment about overall success, and we have no direct examples of Joshua teaching his children and grandchildren the way they should go, but the indirect evidence seems overpowering that he did just that. Joshua lived to be 110 years old, which meant he would have had great, great, great grandchildren. In Judges 2, 7 through 8, we read, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, I bet many of them were Joshua's descendants, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. But this pattern of commanding his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord, given first to Abraham, did not continue, because Judges 2 that we just read from continues, and there arose another generation after Joshua and his generation who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. The failure of the covenant fathers of Israel to turn their hearts toward their children and grandchildren in order to turn the next generation's hearts toward keeping God's law was nearly a universal failure. And it is especially highlighted in the book of Judges. There were some exceptions, though. For example, King David a man after God's own heart, was an exception. His son Solomon tells us about his father David. In Proverbs 4, Solomon writes, When I was a son with my father, Tender, and the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. And then in 1 Kings 2, one, we also see David on his deathbed teaching his son Solomon, who's an adult, the way he should go. David says, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And Solomon himself also demonstrated the truth that fathers teach a child the way he or she should go. The first nine chapters of Proverbs could be called A Father's Invitation to Wisdom, where he says, in essence, and quite literally a couple times, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. He says that essentially 10 times in nine chapters. With these three notable exceptions, the Old Testament failure of fathers to pass on their spiritual heritage is exhibited all through its history. But the Old Testament ends with the final two verses pointing to a new day that will dawn. The Messiah will come, overthrow Satan's sin and death, and empower fathers, as well as all believers, with the Holy Spirit poured out in greater measure. Hebrews 8 tells us that Jeremiah's prophecy is fulfilled in the coming of Christ. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The dawning of this new age will be marked by the coming of a second Elijah whom Jesus said, of course, was John the Baptist. So the Old Testament ends with this hope. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Under the new covenant, with the power of the risen Christ poured out upon us through the indwelling Holy Spirit, men will be helped to win the hearts of their children and turn their hearts to love the law of the Lord. This podcast is about staying focused on our mission, and all of this background is given to show how significant our teaching role is in our homes but also to fill us with confidence because we have Christ dwelling in us to help us, to give us determination and wisdom and energy and grace when we fail to fulfill this fatherhood task that is given to Christian men. So what should be the starting place for a Christian man? The whole Bible is our curriculum? Well, no, I think there are some practical ways to think about this. Here are a few ideas. One starting point would be the Ten Commandments, which are a summary of the entire moral law of God. And Jesus builds upon them with greater application in the New Testament. Another starting point would be Matthew 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7, which is Jesus' summary of how to live in the kingdom of God. It begins with the eight foundational attitudes for kingdom living. A third possible starting place would be the Westminster Confession Shorter Catechism, or as we use with our kids, partly, the Children's Catechism. Here are a few example questions from the Children's Catechism. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. I can still remember the sound of that response in my, in my memory. And we added one, how much are you worth? And the answer is priceless. How can you glorify God? By loving Him and doing what He commands. Why ought you to glorify God? Because He made me and takes care of me. Just a few sample questions. A fourth possible starting point is a character development training plan that I have recommended in the past. It's available on my website. You can find that link in the show notes. Let me give you a sample of the first eight qualities that we cover. First, teach a child attentiveness. This is actually a prerequisite to obedience. When speaking to your child, always require him to look you in the eyes. I suggest getting down at his level also. Teach him to listen carefully to you and others, and teach him to listen carefully to God's voice heard through his conscience. Second, teach a child obedience by setting limits. Toddlers need to know that painful punishment will follow if they go beyond the limit. Limits begin in infancy with learning not to touch. No means no. Disobedience is punished by a light slap on the hand. Limits begin to kick in formally during the toddler years, continue throughout childhood, and even into the teen years, although teens should need fewer limits because a teen is internalizing character and learning to regulate his own behavior. Number three, teach a child contentment. Contentment is recognizing that God has already provided everything I need for my present happiness. Teach kids who are bored that they are responsible for their own happiness. Teach them that fulfillment comes through love relationships, first loving God and basking in his love, and then learning to love others well. Fourth, teach your child the principle of sowing and reaping, that behavior has consequences. Galatians 6-7 says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Praise your child's positive attitudes and behavior. Help them see the benefits of their positive attitudes and right behavior. Help them to see the relationship between bad attitudes or wrong behavior and negative consequences. Fifth, teach them responsibility. A good definition of responsibility is recognizing and doing what both God and others are expecting of me. He should be given small tasks that he is responsible for as much as possible, even as a preschooler. Your child must take responsibility also for his attitudes, including anger. He made me so mad is excusing anger instead of owning it. Your child must take responsibility for his own behavior. If he accidentally hurts someone, he is still responsible even if he did not intend to harm that person. Number six, teach children truthfulness. Teach them that God is the God of truth and that Jesus is the truth. And that is how important it is for Christians to be truthful. Teach them the high cost of lying. Plan your punishments and consequences so that the most severe punishment is for lying. And they get a lighter punishment if they tell the truth. At least that's my thought. Seventh, teach the principle of ownership and boundaries. A child should have things that belong to him. He should not be forced to share them with his friends. A way to do that is to say, John, Billy's coming over today. Are there some toys you would rather not play with with Billy when he's here? We'll put them up in the closet. Now, what toys would you like to share with Billy? Ownership also implies taking care of possessions. Ownership of his body means that no one else is to touch his private parts. Teach kids exactly what words to use to actually say no. No, you may not touch me there. No, my mommy and daddy said it's wrong to pull your pants down in front of other people. Number eight, teach him to recognize the difference between the things he can control and can't control. He can't control the fact that the swimming trip got rained out, but he can control whether he stays in a bad mood all day because of it. Children must learn to adapt to reality which is the definition of mental health. They should not expect reality to conform to them, which is the definition of mental illness. Again, there's a link in the show notes to the rest of the character development training plan that I have on my website. I want to close our time by observing God's four-step training process, which comes from Deuteronomy 6. Step one You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You know, we really do lead from our heart and our example. Step two, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Again, that shows how important God's word is to us. Step three, you shall teach them. That Hebrew word means to stamp into them. It's a sort of a uh, intentional teaching. Teach them diligently to your children, and then step four, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, we should be talking about how God's Word applies to our everyday lives all through life. To summarize this episode, Juneteenth is an important day to remember the horrible treatment of black slaves in America and to turn our focus to our cities where so many black families are experiencing the horror of drive-by shootings, gang violence, and needed businesses shutting down and moving out of their part of the city as we bring our worldview to bear on these problems we see that a big casualty of the last 150 years of abusing african-americans is the disintegration of the black home with 45 percent of black children in our cities growing up without a dad we also see that a biblical worldview teaches that evil is restrained in a society by laws that are enforced by the state to punish evil and reward good behavior. Then turning our spotlight upon ourselves, we saw that the history of God's covenant people is that men have failed to do what God has called all covenant fathers to do, command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yet we have great reason for hope, because part of the very promise of God to his covenant people Israel was that a new day would someday dawn. This era, inaugurated by the ministry of John the Baptist, who would be a second Elijah, who would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their father's instruction. We have an active partner in this process, the Holy Spirit of God, whose ministry is writing the law of God on the human heart. We examined some curricula, and ended by reminding ourselves that teaching a child the way he should go begins in our heart with our love for God, our devotion to writing his word on our hearts, and then instructing our children and reinforcing that teaching all through the day. Keep in mind, though, that although we lead from our hearts, our influence is not based upon perfection, but direction. Kids will see their fathers fail. That is inevitable. What they need is to see us love Jesus so much that we get up quickly when we get knocked down because of our sin and get back into the race following even harder after Jesus. For further prayerful thought, number one, what thoughts come to your mind as you think about the four biblical ways that God has ordained to restrain human evil? Mentioned in the podcast, and the current crime wave in our cities. See the show notes for additional questions. This week's past episode highlight is season one, episode number 33, from June 21st, 2020, responding to the argument that the Bible teaches patriarchy. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, ForgingBonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This link is also in your show notes. Next week, we complete our four-week June series, Loving Our Kids with the Fatherly Love of God, by examining the special role fathers have in keeping their kids motivated toward godliness. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to let other Christian men know about it as we together seek to swell the ranks of strong godly men who are leading their families and churches well for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ.